Good morning. I was talking to Pat Trumpeter, and he said, these are hungry people. The ones who came in spite of the, the snow and the ice and these things. So I am with you. I am hungry this morning. Anyone else? No weather going to stop us. We were up early thinking, do we do this or not? And we're really wanting to just set a precedent. Unless it's really, really, really bad, we'll just plan on meeting. And you can stay home. That, that's fine. No problem at all. But I think for the most part, we will just plan on meeting unless there's a massive blizzard. And who knows, some of you may want to come anyway. So we're glad you're here. My name is Brock Bingham, and I'm one of the lead pastors here, along with Mike Milner and Brad Kilman. We're delighted that you're here with us today. Uh, we're in an exciting and strategic time at our church, are we not? And we are looking at um, the kingdom of God. Right now we're in week nine of our series. And why are we doing this? We, hopefully you saw we spent the first seven weeks looking at the kingdom of God in the Old Testament because it lays the foundations for understanding the kingdom, the message of the kingdom that Jesus brings. So oftentimes we just go right to the New Testament, but it's important Jesus was Jewish. He was steeped in the Old Testament, the images, the prophets, the ideas, the concepts of the kingdom. And so I think it's important to study the scripture that he did so that we better understand the kingdom of God when we get to the New Testament. Last week, Mike started our venture into the New Testament and looked at Matthew 9 and 10. For those of you who are here, those of you who were not, Mike talked about how Jesus came proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. It wasn't just a matter of talk, but it was a matter of demonstrating. He healed the sick, raised the dead, and he turns to his disciples in Matthew 10, as Mike said, and he said, your turn now. You've seen me do this and model this, and now it's your turn to do it. I've been meditating this the last couple of days on a passage in Luke 12. You can write this down and look at it. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so this morning we are saying, Father, would you give us the kingdom? We know we get a measure of it now in this life, and we've tasted a measure of that, but we look forward to the kingdom when it's consummated. So that's what we're looking at this morning. We're going to delve into several facets of the kingdom this morning, a handful of them. And Mike and I were talking about this. How do you compress into two weeks the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom? You can't. You need two months, maybe a couple of years to look at it. So what I want to do is take a few passages and kind of synthesize them, draw them together, and see what some of the the key things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God, what are those? What does that mean for us? So the first thing, look in your Bible at Matthew 13 if you have it. I've been encouraging people to bring their Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at the slides we've prepared here. And the first thing we're going to look at in the teaching of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is a mystery. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives a number of parables about the kingdom, and I'm just pulling out two, one dealing with the mustard seed, and another we'll see shortly here is the yeast or leaven parable that he gives. But before we do this, what does Jesus mean by the word mystery? Some of us think of Sherlock Holmes or 
Nancy Drew or something like that. But really, it's, it's a key Greek word. If that didn't date me, some of you are going, who is Nancy Drew, right? <laughs> I'll wait to hear from Pat Trumpeter on that one. Um, it's a Greek word, musterion, and it means basically something that's concealed. So what Jesus is doing in Matthew 13 is he's saying, I'm going to reveal something to you that has been concealed. And as we saw in Isaiah and Daniel and other places in the Old Testament, there's a measure of revealing that happens about the kingdom of God. They're like Polaroids that are being handed to us through the Old Testament prophets. But what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, I'm going to give you the full picture. He actually embodies the full picture. And what he says here in Matthew 13 at verse 10, I'll read this. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? those who are not your disciples. Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries, the musterion, or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So this text shows us here that Jesus is here to reveal like never before what's been concealed. And then you look here, it says, it has been granted. So the knowledge of what the kingdom of God is, is an act of grace. You can't figure it out. You can't be smart and clever and intellectual enough. The Lord has to open your mind to understand this great mystery, which he does freely if we'll say yes. What exactly is the mystery that's being brought to light here? We mentioned that the Old Testament prophetic tradition talked about it. And if you remember Daniel, it was that rock from heaven. It came in kind of a cataclysmic, apocalyptic manner. It struck the other empires of the world and filled the earth. And Jesus is building on that a little bit, but he's also saying it is not coming in the spectacular way that you expected it. It's actually coming in the form of a mustard seed. I've got a slide up here. Some of you are wondering, how big is a mustard seed? You can see there, it is tiny. We're looking at maybe half a millimeter, a millimeter, something there. And that is what Jesus is talking about, this little dark seed. And among the Jewish rabbis, it was the smallest seed they could find. So he's trying to illustrate here that this little seed, known for its smallness, is actually going to expand Look at verse 31 here of Matthew 13 and listen to what he says. He says, he puts before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We can go back to that slide there with a picture. Jesus is actually quoting verbatim from Daniel chapter 4. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he had a, an image in his mind of a tree that filled the earth. And Jesus is saying, that is happening right here. The Lord's empire, a spiritual empire, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is entering human history right now. But it's not coming the way that you think. There's something mysterious here. Look at Matthew 13, 33, quickly here, another parable that reiterates the same kind of mustard seed principle. Matthew 13, 33 says this, Jesus spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven 
is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. In some places, leaven is negative, isn't it? In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, you can think of places where they would remove the leaven from their home. Even Passover, it was unleavened bread. Or in Matthew, in other places, Matthew 16, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, their false teaching, which leads to religious bondage and these kinds of things. But Jesus is using leaven in a positive way here. One commentator says this, the dynamic power of leaven, whereby a small amount, which is almost imperceptible, when first mixed in a lump of dough, has an eventual, inevitable, and astonishing effect upon the whole. So what Jesus is showing us here is that the leaven is going to permeate and activate the dough. And what he's saying here, to such an extent, this teeny little amount of leaven is actually going to produce 50 kilograms of bread, enough to feed 150 people. So what he's talking about here is exponential growth through these two parables, these word pictures, the mustard seed starting humbly, filling the whole earth, that is the kingdom, and the leaven worked into a lump of dough, beginning in an unimpressive way, but then filling the entire lump of dough. A second thing here that Jesus reveals to us about the kingdom of God is found in John 18. Look at John chapter 18 at verse 33. And what Jesus is showing us here about the kingdom is that his kingdom is not from this world. We're going to talk about this. In John 18, 33, a little bit of context here. Jesus has gone before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's had to give account. They've grilled him. They've questioned him. Who are you? Why are you claiming to be a king? What is your kingdom like? And then he's sent to stand before the Roman prefect, the leader, Pilate. And he's answering some questions here. And tucked in these verses is something about the kingdom that's profound. Let's look at it, John 18, 33 and following. Pilate entered the headquarters again. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers, look at this, would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, he reiterates what? My kingdom is not from here. So Jesus is giving us insight into what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is about. What he's saying essentially here is that the kingdom of God is not coming by political force or power. Now, you got to think about this. In the first century, when Jesus is speaking to Pilate, there's lots of different things that he's having to navigate through. There have been previous Messiah pretenders 
or previous people trying to overthrow Rome. There was a famous one named Judas Maccabeus in 167 BC. So 160 years before Jesus, this guy came. He challenged the powers of Rome and actually succeeded for a while. He recaptured the temple. And so Jesus knows all of this. The Jewish people and the Romans are expecting a political revolt. And he's this messianic figure who's stirring the crowds, and he's saying it's not going to play out the way that it did with Judas Maccabeus or someone else. This was baggage that he was having to sift through. What he is doing here is emphasizing that his kingdom is going to come in a spiritual fashion. It's going to take root in the hearts of people. It's not going to come with the power of the sword. It's not going to come because his, his disciples are whipped up into this place of taking over the Roman government. So he's trying to put them at ease. His kingdom is not from the world. But what he's also saying is that through his life, soon to be death, he's establishing a beachhead in human history. Through his incarnation, his ministry, the driving out of demons, the healing of the sick, and eventually his resurrection, his ascension, something significant is being inaugurated in human history. This is what we've been looking at for eight weeks. It is a turning point, but it's established in the human heart. Some of you may have remembered during Advent, we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We talked about how the king came to her and she said yes to the will of God, said, be it done to me according to your word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom advances as we say yes to the Lord. It's as simple as that. Jesus is going to talk about something else. The third thing here is that the kingdom of God advances through prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I hope this is okay that we're kind of doing a, an overview, dipping into these key moments to see what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God and letting it adjust our thinking, speak to us, and in this passage here, inspire us to pray and expect the kingdom. Matthew 6, we'll be looking at verses 9 and 10, but I, I want to talk about where this is. Matthew 6 is in something called the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you know this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is where the Sermon on the Mount turns to this place of kingdom prayer. And Jesus is teaching them here. It's a kingdom prayer, and he's teaching them that the kingdom advances not by physical or political force, but through prayer. Matthew 6, 9 says this. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, Hallow it or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's 10 lines in this rich prayer. We're only looking at a few here. Just these two verses right here. And you can see that it's centered on God's name. The name of God. Let it be regarded as holy, unlike anything else in the created realm. Lord, your name is holy. It's also God's kingdom that people will gladly submit to the rule and reign of God. That's what we're praying for. And thirdly, God's will, that people will obey God freely. And he says that is the kingdom advancing in the hearts and lives of people. And that is what we're praying for. It's God-centered, 
God petitioning prayer. Lord, move. We've been referencing this gentleman named Derek Morphew, a book that we've been using, Breakthrough, Discovering the Kingdom, and we've got some copies out in the commons there on the bookshelf. Listen to what he suggests here in this book. He says two things. He says that we need to saturate our minds with the biblical revelation of the kingdom of God, which is what we're doing, isn't it? Saturate our minds with the revelation of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, we're filled with kingdom expectation. We begin to, things rise up within us and we expect the kingdom to come whenever we're together in our homes, in our workplace. And we begin to pray with greater anticipation when we're saturating our minds and hearts with scripture. Are you finding this to be the case? Revisiting the theme of the kingdom. The second thing that Morphew says is that this is a specific kind of praying that Jesus is teaching here. It's a kingdom prayer. He could have talked about numerous things and it moves into other petitions about forgiveness and these things, but it begins with your kingdom come. Morpheus says this, the theology of the kingdom should be required reading for groups of intercessors and prayers. Once they have been equipped with the full kingdom expectation, prayers can be expectant kingdom intercessors. So there's something very practical about this. It gets in our minds. It gets in our hearts. It gets in our spiritual bloodstreams. The kingdom advances through prayer. Prayer is a mystery, is it not? Prayer is work. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is something that we have to give ourselves to on a daily and regular basis. Why? I don't really know. But I can tell you this, as we pray, it reinforces something about the kingdom of God. Only God advances the kingdom. Only God and his Christ bring breakthrough in human history when they decide. But in this mystery of prayer, we get drawn into it. And the Lord changes us in the process. He says, I can bring my kingdom, but I'm choosing for you to partner with me. We're the bride of Jesus himself, the Lord, the Messiah. And we get to participate in this. And it has a transformative effect on us. Does it not? We pray, we wrestle, we grapple, and it changes us. That's the fourth thing I want us to look at here that's deeply connected to the kingdom advancing through prayer. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. We can stick here, and I'm going to show you a few verses. Jesus says in other places, he says in Luke 17, 21, that the kingdom of God is within or among you. The kingdom of God, again, takes root in our lives. It shapes and empowers us. It transforms us. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, Matthew 5 through 7. And all I want to do is just show you, just kind of skim through the Sermon on the Mount and show you that this entire teaching is about the kingdom of God. Jesus is elucidating. He's showing what the kingdom of God is like. What he's also showing is that the kingdom is not about external religious practice. This is something that he's constantly contending against. His people were into outward obedience 
And Jesus says, no, when the kingdom comes, it lays hold of the human heart. That is what God has been after from the beginning, obedience, joyful, grace-infused obedience from the heart. And so that's what he's dealing with in Matthew 5 through 7. Look at Matthew 5, 3, and I'll hopefully convince you of this, that this sermon is in fact about life in the kingdom of God. When the kingdom comes, it changes the people of God. So Matthew 5, 3, the beginning of these beatitudes, these blessings, he starts off, what does he say, church? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's introducing the entire sermon here by saying, if you will acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before God, he will give you his riches. He will give you the kingdom. He will give you righteousness. He will transform you from within. But this is how it starts. Recognize that you are poor in spirit, that you are incapable of yourselves. And he turns to his disciples. He says, are you with me on this? And then he begins to lay out what life in the kingdom looks like. Some scholars call it an ethic of the kingdom. This is God's heart, God's desire for the people of God. And we'll get a foretaste of it now. We seek it, we strive for it, but then the Lord, one day, this will all be true. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5 there. So we've got blessed are the poor in spirit. Then what does Jesus say in verse 8 here? Blessed are the pure in heart. So again, it's about the heart. What's the text say? They will see God. And again, he's laying these things out because it's true in a measure now, and it will also be true. Theologians, early church theologians, call this passage the beatific vision, that one day the people of God will get to look upon God in all of his glory, his majesty, his radiance, his splendor, and will become like him as he is. It's what 1 John 3 talks about. In the meantime, we get to look upon him in prayer, look upon him together in scripture and be changed. And what happens? It purifies our hearts. It changes us. It's a great mystery called the kingdom of God. If we'll take the time together, individually, collectively, and look upon God, we'll see him. We may see him in part now, but one day we will stand before him as his beloved children and see him in all his fullness. So this, we're just in chapter five here and we're seeing that this is a kingdom sermon, is it not? We saw in chapter six, nine through 10, that prayer undergirds this kingdom life. At chapter six, verse 33, Jesus says to seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's telling them there is a righteousness available to you that the Pharisees have not wrapped their minds around. If you will look upon God, admit your spiritual need for him, he will make you righteous from within. So it's a beautiful, beautiful promise here about the kingdom. And then look, we'll end with this at chapter seven of this section here. 
Again, what I'm addressing, some of us at times, I think, would read something like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we would say, maybe that was for the religious folks of Jesus' day. There's a lot of Old Testament stuff in here, or they might say, this stuff is unattainable. It's too strict. There's something here. It's actually a window into kingdom life, that the whole purpose of God's instruction is that it would take root inside of us and that the Lord would make us righteous. And look at what it says at verse 11 of chapter 7. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? All of this, my friends, is rooted in the grace and generosity of a loving Father. The whole kingdom on the, on the whole Sermon on the Mount is not a heavy yoke at all. It's a promise to live into. We're the already and not yet people. This whole thing is too much for us to handle. But God says if you will open up your heart, the kingdom will come and begin to work on you and transform you and purify you, and you will find obedience happening as a byproduct of love. You're in love. You're in love with the Lord Jesus. The Father's love has touched you, and you naturally obey. Is it work? Yes, but if you give yourself to it, give yourself to the teachings of Jesus, opening ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, God is more committed to this than we are. A final thing, looking at the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of God, and this is a whopper, the fifth one, the kingdom impacts the nations through the gospel and disciple-making. Two texts I want to point out here. One is in Matthew 24, and the other is Matthew 28. This is something we were singing about today, the gospel of the kingdom. So the kingdom is shaping us from within, transforming us according to what Jesus is teaching here, but there's an outward expression of this, and that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, the gospel the fact that God is rescuing people and transforming them and will one day transform all of creation. This message is going to go to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24 here, I've got this up here, but a little bit of context. His disciples, Jesus' disciples are coming to him and they're saying, when is all this kingdom stuff going to be consummated? When are you going to tie all of this up? You're talking about coming again? What, can you explain this to us? And Jesus, in this very rich passage, Matthew 24, he talks about a number of things that are going to happen through human history and that will happen just preceding the coming of Christ. This is called the mini-apocalypse. Some theologians call that because there's so much compressed into this. He talks about the destruction of the temple, which happened in 35 years after him in AD 70. There'll be false messiahs, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, to name a few things. But then he says, this is just the beginning. These are the beginnings of the birth pangs. And some overlook this critical verse right here. Some are saying, well, the end is coming, the kingdom is going to be consummated, but church, this must happen. This is where we are now. 
Jesus says at verse 14, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So when people get all worked up and say, Jesus is coming and the church is going to be taken out and these various things, I say, nah, you got to revisit what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. This is the period. This is the era where the gospel must go to all nations, all people groups, touch every continent, and then, only then, will the end come. I mentioned this analogy a few weeks ago about D-Day and V-Day, that a theologian saw this analogous situation within World War II, the end of the war, that the Allied troops stormed the beaches at Normandy, and it took 11 months after that moment for them to push the Germans back and for the Germans to finally surrender. And I'm reminding us, we live in that interim time right now. With the coming of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the back of the enemy has been broken. It's game over. But now we're in this intense period of fighting spiritually and taking the gospel to the nations. I just want you to see here this map, just very quickly here. We've seen the mustard seed, this tiny little movement that started in the first century with 12 people. And the kingdom has, in fact, expanded throughout the entire world. The continents are on fire with the gospel right now. We live in a unique time where people groups are hearing the gospel for the first time, and Christians, they're seeing revival, churches planted, and I want you to look, that red section there on the right, Africa into Asia, this area becomes known as the 1040 window. The gospel is penetrating even this area here. The gospel, Matthew 24, 14, is going into all nations and having a great impact. We get to live in this time where it's happening. And we're going to send people, continue to send people. It's happened for over 40 years at this church, and we'll continue to launch people into the mission fields all over the world. We're going to throw ourselves into that. Sometimes, though, we can hide behind things like this. We're going to launch missionaries, and we're going to send, and I'm going to write checks and do these things. And I want us to be reminded that this stuff happens locally as well. The Lord is really pressing this in with me right now, and I'm revisiting some of the things that I've moved away from, the fact that the kingdom is advancing through prayer, the kingdom is advancing through me sharing with other people. Just a couple of weeks ago, I shared with Mike and a few others, I was on a flight from Denver to Oklahoma City and I'm reading about the kingdom, and I've got these things going in my mind, and I'm saying, Lord, would you help us really get it afresh at our Lord's? And I sense the Lord whisper, that's a dangerous prayer. Are you really wanting that? How about you, Brock? Are you ready to share the gospel of the kingdom with people? And I said, yes. I saw these two young women get on the plane, and I could tell immediately something was not right. And they sat about two rows in front of me, and I watched them during the flight. And they were going through withdrawal. They needed a fix. Both of them were just 
scratching and clawing all over, and I could just, I watched their faces. They were in a bad place, and I sensed the Lord just kind of tugging at my heart for one of them. So I began to look at her and pray, and I said, Lord, would you bring your kingdom to this young lady? And I sensed that I was supposed to say something as we were getting off the plane, and like you, my heart starts, bum, 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 bum. What am I going to say? What can I say? I'm supposed to bring the message of the kingdom, and I just sensed it's going to come to you. So sure enough, we're getting off the plane. She's right in front of me. She turns around and looks at me. It couldn't have been more of a setup. And what rolled off of my lips was, you have amazing days ahead. And she looked at me and kind of took a step back, and I said, you have, amazing, you have an amazing future. And she goes, why are you telling me that? And I said, someone wants me to tell you that. And she goes, who? And I just went. <laughs> With all of my boldness and confidence, I pointed up. <laughs> and she goes, what? And I said, and she stepped back, and I'm telling you, her heart melted. The kingdom of God came through my weakness. I am not preaching the gospel to her. I'm not giving her the four spiritual laws, the Romans road. I'm just saying what I think the Father says to her, you have amazing days ahead, speaking hope into her drug-filled body. And something happened, and I thought, I'm going to start doing that again. I am, wherever I am, I'm going to realize that I carry the kingdom, and I'm going to look for people who need to hear about the kingdom. Now, I don't know what happened in this young lady's life, but something went into her heart. It was hope, and she knows that her maker loves her. And so I would urge us, church, in the coming days to realize in fresh ways we carry the kingdom. And the Lord wants to speak to us and through us, and it may be something as simple as that, but the key is to not chicken out. We're going to end. I'll let you look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20 later. It's about Jesus receiving all authority and turning to his disciples and saying, based on the authority of the kingdom, my lordship, I'm sending you out to the nations to make disciples. So we've seen here this morning briefly that the kingdom of God is a mystery. It's not from this world. It advances through prayer. It shapes us from within, making us pure and righteous through the Father's generosity. And the kingdom impacts the nations through the gospel and disciple-making. Why don't we stand, church? Mike's going to lead us in ministry time, but I just want to pray a simple prayer. Father, I pray that you would awaken us to the reality of the kingdom, that we would realize we are your kingdom people, yeah. that you're calling us today to bring your kingdom, to work with you, to partner with you, to bring the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit to those around us.